Welcome to the DevSecOps Talks. I am Matthias, together today with Andre and Julian. And today we will talk about infrastructure as code. Uh, so guys. Hello. Uh, hello. How are you? Life is good. Fine. Good, good, good. So we're going to talk about infrastructure as code here. Uh, I'm a big fan of running my clouds and I want to have uh, what I run in the cloud as code in my GitHub repo. All right. So what, why, what why, why like would to... you do that? Why would you like to do that? That's not fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. Sure. Oh, but I remember the old days, right? I've been a sysadmin for many years. Like, and in the young, I used to go into the, my Apache server and I just added the, the config files, I press save, I restart the Apache, we're grateful and, and my service was back running. But you know, it's, it's working great when you have one server, but when you have a lot, it becomes a little bit problem. So I, when I started, like after some years, you started using all these tools for setting your state on the server. It started with Puppet and then Chef, and, and then it comes Ansible and other ones. But now when I can run like CloudFormation and set up all my service in, in AWS, it's, it's, I, I like the concept, but it's also, it's making my head spin a little bit. I mean, I can set up the cloud, but what, we, what do you say would be the first step? Because do, do you run, where do you run my first cloud formation? Do you run it from, from like your laptop and then connect AWS and run your cloud formation? Or do you have some other tools that you run it with? Or how do you start using your cloud formation and setting up your, your providers? I would I would start from, you know, clarifying the whole thing, clarifying what the infrastructure as code is and uh, what the problem it solves because it's good to separate what from how, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. What, what you're bringing up right now is a quite specific question, right? About the particular technology involved in the process and uh, it would be good to have the overview of why you're doing that, what are the pros, what's cons, and uh, how we got here. Because like when you started as a system administrator, right? Yeah. You would like to do the infrastructure as code, perhaps. Well, yeah. If you would knew about the concept, but what was, what was stopping you from doing that? That's a question. And usually prerequisite for doing infrastructure as code is to have an ability to do that. And by that, I mean, it's like software-defined network, right? And in order to have software-defined network, you need to have an API to call. You need yeah, to exactly. have an, an API to say, I want to have a server that big with those parameters. If yeah. everything you got is a server and a bunch of network cables going into that, well, you probably left only like with SSH and the tools you had and uh, with ways of working you employed before. And then, as you described, we had a new era that people said, well, we have all those bare metal servers and it doesn't make sense to fight configuration dreams all the time. Science people will go in, they will do changes and people are not perfect, they make mistakes and they're not consistent. And uh, yeah, people... And yeah. we had an age of configuration management tools, right? So the PEP and yeah. stuff. And it's, I think it's important to make us distinguish, distinguish between those because 
Ansible, Chef, and uh, Puppet, initially they were thought as a server configuration management tool. So something that would allow you to automate provisioning of your servers, configuration of your servers. It wasn't infrastructure as code as such. Well, here we're actually like in a tricky spot where we need to define what infrastructure as code is, because there are, if you ask people selling Chef, Chef is all about infrastructure as code. And yeah, yeah. maybe actually today it is, because like for instance, with Ansible, you can do quite a lot of stuff that you would do with cloud formation because Ansible now allows calling AWS API. So it's a little bit of gray area, I would say it's like mixed. But initially, they were conceived as uh, server configuration management tools. And then with advent of cloud and uh, public cloud and IPIs and OpenStack, we actually got access to the interface that would allow us to configure the servers. And here we are actually defining our infrastructure as code science. Now it's all declarative in most cases. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but so if you say that I'm setting up my my cloud provider here, yeah, right. I have I have a small Kubernetes cluster around. Well, I have a SQL server. Should I still do infrastructure as code? Well, this is uh, it's more about the the use case that you're planning to use. I, I tend to not automate things until they need automation. So if creating uh, one cluster with a few nodes and one database is all you need to do, maybe automating that stuff is a bit premature. Now, if you get to two or three cluster, it's it's nice to start early if you know that you're going to have 1,000 to manage in the end. But yeah. premature to, uh, automation can cause more problem than it solves. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. I mean... Sometimes I see my, my infrastructure as code as like my documentation also, what I have deployed. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can look at the code and say, okay, this is like, this is the spec, what I have running. And then I can use that to to verify that, okay, it's the correct things things running. But uh, Yeah, the, the, the thing is that you always have like what's on paper and the reality. I, I think that... And let's talk about the elephant in the room here, Terraform. Yeah. They, they yeah. changed the language recently. Yeah. And and uh, they added a lot of logic and a lot of uh, sequence and for loops and all those things. While, you know, at, at the beginning, it was like a descriptive language. Now we, we're starting yeah. to, to go th- towards a programming language where if these do that, if yeah. not, go here and it started like the complexity is not just I, I can read that stuff. I, I need to yeah, actually yeah. keep in my mind everything that that stuff is doing before I try to understand. And I'm not even sure that, you know, the the state is going to be consistent. So infrastructure oh, yeah. as code is nice if you only use infrastructure as code. There's many people yeah. that still have access to the console of your cloud provider or whatever, and they still modify things. And then suddenly the the state, what you see on the code is not at all reflecting what's in the cloud. And then you have the choice. Okay, should I patch it? Should I recreate it? How to recreate it and, and fail over for the traffic to keep working? It's uh, yeah. I, I think it's uh, automation is like the answer to a pro- 
no, sorry, infrastructure as code is the answer when the automation of the management of the infrastructure cannot be done manually anymore. Like you, yeah. you, you need someone to automate and, and make sure that things are kept in sync. I actually would disagree here a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like I generally agree, but disagree in details. Science, uh, I am a big proponent of uh, immutable infrastructure. So the notion of you bake your golden image using Packer, for instance, right? And then you deploy it and you don't provision because when it's coming up, it's up, it's ready and up and running because it's already had everything it needs. And technically, you don't need to have people going in there, so you don't patch. If you need to do a change, you just roll out the new image. You just burn a new image on the server and you have updated system. Science, again, if you have people coming in, touching things, you'll have no assurance that they did the things they're supposed to be doing and that they haven't left some traces that would create a problem later on. It's like, you know... Yeah, but it yeah, but that's a big problem. I mean, we started up a new project here as well. We said everything up as infrastructure code. We deploy everything, and then something happens, right? Uh -huh. You have this problem you need to fix. Yes. And we have people that have admin, admin access to, to the console. They shouldn't. And I mean, like, no. well, not as a console, but like the server itself. Like in a perfect yeah. world, you don't have SSH enabled, so people can go there. No, 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 no. This is the console, not to, to the service. Yes. I mean, though, those are locked down. But I mean, now people are going in like, oh, I can click this little button here, and then this problem, like this incident that we have, is, is resolved. Mm. Uh, but I also need to go, go remember to go down and and add it to to the to the code, and then mm. if you add it to the code, you of course need to deploy it so mm. that you. First, fix in production, then deploy it to a different environment to verify that the change is working. And it's it, it's hard to get this. I mean, that's a change in a yeah, culture. Yeah, it is. It is. You need to make sure that that your pipeline, so you can deploy the changes with infrastructure as code, is it's easy to use and, and fast, so you can get your changes out fast. Uh, but but sometimes it's. I mean, sometimes a small fix in in in, in a cloud provider is, is many hours of uh, of building a new template in, in any uh, cloud formations, and then, and then it and then it's it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, you, you just don't have to be dogmatic, as you're saying. Like if you if your production is on fire, yeah, you, you go and do whatever it, it takes to put fire down, right? And then yeah, you yeah, go yeah. back and put it into the code. But you just make yeah. sure that the changes you did are documented and you know what needs to be changed. Because if it's not, next time you're rolling out your infrastructure updates, you're back to the yeah. fire state, basically. So Yeah, you're going to burn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean that, that's I mean that's a great concept. As a, and that's how I see the infrastructure as code. It's like your documentation and your like evidence how you're environment look and, and you can always look then and say okay this is how I look is this what i see when i look in the console it's the same okay yeah. that's good i can verify now that we're in good shape here right things are working uh, but it also it also demands you to change things and make them from the beginning like every change has to go into to git yeah it's also bring um, us to what to what julian was saying right 
yeah about uh, declarative and imperative approach i was like if oh, you're writing yeah. shell scripts you're basically doing imperative but if yeah. you do a declaration of intent you say like my infrastructure i declare my infrastructure to, to look like this and yeah. then you have a tool that takes what is actually there compares with your intentions and propose the changes that needs to be made to match your intentions and it i i think that the next step here very well could be with adoption of the same ideas that kubernetes has because yeah. kubernetes is declarative well you could use annotations to bring a little bit of logic in there but it's like mostly declarative and your kubernetes manifests there uh, declarations of what you want to have and then you give it to kubernetes yeah. and then you have an operator that which job is to make sure what you asked for will will be fulfilled at some point not necessarily yeah, now, yeah. but as soon as like everything lies down together and all requirements fulfilled you will get what you wanted and if yeah. not it will report back using the channels it has and i a little bit bugged with the question like why don't we do that with infrastructure and i see people for instance in security space they have something like reactive security right you have yeah. an intruder on your system that goes into aws and terminates or like stops a trail cloud trail right yeah yeah and then you have a system that says well but the cloud trail have to be on and that system like a kubernetes operator goes back and brings it on again yeah exactly so yeah. i we we see the some ideas coming in into this space and i think that might be a next step for the infrastructure score and that probably will be for cloud providers to build that you submit your declaration and say give me this i want yeah. this to be like that Actually, actually, we still have to maintain the state, right? Yeah. Actually, the there is already a Kubernetes operator to bridge the gap to yeah, the yeah. cloud API. So you define your the infrastructure you need inside your Kubernetes cluster. So in in a Kubernetes YAML manifest, and the operator is in charge of creating those resources for you, and it leverage all the knowledge and. I would say the the years of experience and you know hardening of Kubernetes to provide those infrastructure because it's not so different. We just say I want this to happen, and it will yeah. try until it succeeds. There is also the um, another uh, project that is really interesting, but it's only for Google Cloud. It's called Forseti Security. Mm -hmm. So th that is a very interesting concept, which scans all the API of your cloud infrastructure. It reports that back to a database and you can specify rules of enforcement, meaning yeah. like I don't want any VM to have the port 22 open. And if it detects, it will automatically revert back those changes. So if someone even has access to those, um, to opening a port, it can the forcity will revert it back, which can enforce the policy organization wide. And yeah. those things are coming in to the to the best practice, but because they find out that it doesn't matter what technology you use, if your process, if your culture is is not aligned with 
the security and the, the best practice and also to to providing a reliable deployment pipeline it, it's not going to work like you, you you cannot you can fix the technology only so much but uh, it's it's mainly about people yeah it is it is so i mean that, that's what what we're aiming for now where you can like describe more or less what you want and then make sure and they you can describe it kind of widely, like a server, a SQL server. I want a database or a Kubernetes cluster, and, and then, to, I mean, the, the the program or the cloud provider make sure that you have that, and then you can always verify that you don't care about the details, right? How what kind of OS is running? You're more interested in, in the bigger picture, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. But if you go so, back yeah. to the Matthias question, like he, he wants to use yeah. infrastructure as code. So what is the problem you are solving, Matthias? The, the problem I'm solving is like, at the first, is, it's, it's more or less knowing what I'm running. Okay. I mean, that maybe is like the first step. I mean, I, I would like to have, I would like to know what I'm running and I would like to verify what I'm running mm. so I can make sure that what I think I'm running what I have here is actually what I'm running in the cloud. Yeah. I mean, that would be the, the first step to verify because I remember the old days when you were in and fiddling with all this, all the systems. I mean, just digging your grave or deeper and deeper, mm. just getting, just fixing small steps all the time and nobody keep track of it. So I like, I like the idea to have like the, the proof for like the base in, in, and the kit, and then just this is what I have. Make sure it runs out here, and then then I, I'm 100 sure what I'm running. All right. So you want then, to apply uh, like a development principles on the infrastructure. You want to have a capability. Yeah, you want to have a history. You have a possibility to see what was changed, to see who did the change, to be able to come go back to that person and ask why he did that. Maybe apply code reviews yeah. and have a discussion about the change before it's applied. Right. Yeah, so that's what we enable here. We have like uh, we have the Jenkins server that apply all the cloud formation. Then we can bundle every f- change to the cloud in our change management, like yeah. with all these things that you have, like pull requests, code review, everything had the same approach. It doesn't matter if you deploy the, our app or a new SQL server, mm. same setup. And then everybody has the same access to the console at the cloud formation. Everybody has read in production. Nobody had right in the beginning. We had to change this when we started with on call and things yeah. happens. Then yeah. read wasn't enough. But I, I like this concept of like handling or like cloud resources in the same manner as I had an, an, an application. Mm. Uh, yeah. but, but I also see I also see the problem with it. Like um, templating. Templating makes me so hard because I like to I like to look in Git and see what I'm running, but when I'm templating, I'm not. I'm I'm seeing like variables names here instead of what I'm actually running. Before we go to templating, I, I have something yeah. to say about the, what you described for production the read access. Yeah, uh, I had I, I've been in a situation where we also had a write access. Well, people have a, almost almost admin access for the console. And by console, I mean AWS console where they can go and create EC2 servers, S3 buckets, and they would go and do that. And yeah. then those are not described in Terraform, CloudFormation, whatever, whatever have you. 
And uh, our approach for that, mostly because of the cost control, was to introduce a set of tags. So we had uh, like a Terraform model that would generate tags, like a very specific tags. And then we have a Lambda function that every night would go around, scope the resources without the tag, and say, what is this? I'm going to delete yeah. it. And it will uh, tag them for deletion next day and post to Slack. I found those, going to delete them next day. Yeah. And next yeah. day, it finds all resources, the tags for deletion, and deletes them. And that's actually nice because then developers can boot up something manually and try it out, but they know that it's going to be deleted. And they're fine with that because quite often people forget to delete what create what they created, and that oh, yeah. hel that helps you to remedy the situation with resources outside of Terraform state or cloud formation template. So you bring the number of those resources to minimum. Yeah, yeah. that's a really good thing. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good example that it, it choosing infrastructure as code will not make your system have failovers. Choosing infrastructure as code will not fix things for you. It will still, it, it's a tool for, for a job. And it shows that even though you're using infrastructure as code, you still have to build this ecosystem of tool around to actually secure and, and in, yeah. to have the inventory of everything you have. So it, it's, it's like a good first step. But there is a lot of work involved to reach to the level that Andre described. It's not like, oh, we used to manage server manually. Now let's switch to uh, Terraform and do everything in there and, and problem will be solved. It, it's not. It's just the beginning of the journey. And I, I think this mentality that, or it, it's not a mentality, it's more a myth that uh, infrastructure as code means uh, immutable infrastructure. That's not true. You You can totally have uh, completely stateful, mutable infrastructure, and and use code. It depends on how how do can you manage that. How can how easy it is to implement a failover for your service. Like you, you wouldn't believe how sometimes hard it is to recreate a Kubernetes co uh, cluster and just failover to the the new one while maintaining services. So yeah. the, the, those things are not. I would say the concept is, is sound, but to actually implementing it and and have a, a safety net to do it, it is another thing. It takes time and it takes practice and it's a lot of work. So what you are saying, if I'm adapting Kubernetes, things will not go rainbow and unicorn straight away, no? Yeah, I, I think that's that should be the, the start of every talk we do. Is like there is no silver bullet. Stop dreaming, <laughs> you know. Just uh, see see how much work it takes, how much how how complicated it is. It, it's it's almost the you know if we should not count. You know, it's like developer they 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 count the number of line of code they wrote, but I should count the number of documentation. I the line of documentation I read, I, I would earn a lot more. You know, if I was paid by, by that. Yeah, but it's in, I mean, it's kind of simple to get started with. You can run a CloudFormation or a Terraform, and you see that it's working. But I mean, when I look running from a local laptop, it's it's kind of simple. Yeah, but and if like, you go to the gym, 
Yeah. You, go, you go to the gym, you see Arnold Schwarzenegger lifting 200 kilo from the ground and you say, he do it, I can do it. Yeah. And, and, yeah, then, yeah. and then suddenly you, you pick up the, the little weight and then you, you find out that if you do that, you break your back. You know, if you start yeah. with 200 yeah. kilo, you go, you're going to hurt yourself. And, and that's the thing. Those tools are really good because they get you up and running really fast. And that's, that's what they're made for. That's what they're useful. But there is always this day two operation that comes and say, hey, you forgot about me, but I'm here. Yeah. And suddenly <laughs> you, you end up managing like something that you, you, you thought would save time because you automated it. And then the automation gives you more hurdle than, yeah, yeah. than what you automate. It's like, what's the point? And so it, it, this is a really hard things when you find this new tool that's all new and shiny and it it, it was it says on the package solve all your yeah. problems and makes your dream come true and and suddenly you realize actually th this is quite time consuming i'm not sure if i want to uh, build a strategy on that and that's where people don't see further than the line sometimes they they have to really think about what tool they use what is the process is it going to be worth it it's like Okay, I, I'm going to be a, an hypocrite here and, and say that, okay, I, I automated a task. It took me two days to automate it, and I saved barely 10 seconds of my life by automating that. But, yeah, it, it, it's, it's always uh, – it's so tempting because it's just there, and you know how to do it. And, mm. yeah, it, it's, it's those little things that say, yeah, I'm going to save so much time. And then you calculate it's like, well, basically, not so much. It's – if you go with the data and you, you measure things, it will tell you more about, you know, the, the actual benefit of a tool rather than just, wow, this is the marketing brochure. It looks so nice. Hmm. If, yeah, if, yeah. if we go back to the, what Matthias was saying about, you know, opening up the file and trying to understand what's going on, I um, had a conversation with someone quite recently and... Um, we kind of discuss it because like, you know, declarative is nice when you're starting up. Like if you have a small piece of infrastructure to describe, which like fits a couple of mon monitor screens, right? Mm -hmm. Then you could probably do that declaratively. But as soon as your setup starts to grow and you need to do more complex things, it starts to cripple. Because you actually want to do yep. maybe lo loops, you know? maybe do yep. the conditions and eventually you start thinking, well, it would be nice to have some imperative stuff in here. So I actually mm -hmm. see from where HCL2 is coming from. And um, there is actually a third way that people don't discuss much, but that's usually done in the big companies that has resources to do it. People would write the code generators. Yeah. And uh, this is even more controversial than you know declarative versus imperative science then you take it's not, in some way you're taking power away from people science you wrote a thing that would take your more simplified yaml so like with code generators you're taking the next step in abstracting you, you're getting your abstraction to the next level you're creating a new level of abstraction on top of all abstractions you have already which is which allows you to do more. So instead of, you know, having the crazy conditions and loops, you could actually just output the declarative spec that everyone can read, maybe, if you're writing the good code generators. And 
actually like readability of the output of the code generators is not the primary criteria of the goodness of those generators. But anyhow, you could solve the problem of understanding what you're gonna do, but not only increasing complexity within your recipe for the infrastructure, but also, you know, bringing everything up to the next abstraction level, abstracting even more and creating new yeah. abstraction for developer, because in the end, what we want to do, we want to have developers productive, right? We want to have systems running and developers productive so they can deliver the value for the business. Yeah. And uh, not every developer understands infrastructure well. So if we could abstract the best practices out of them so they don't need to think about it, I mean, most of the developers just want to have a database, right? They don't want to yeah. be a DBA and understand all the details of security. They just want it to be done right and have their connection string provided to them. And if you could do that, you solve, uh, you sell, save a lot of time for the organization, which is immensely valuable since time of developers is expensive and it's, bring, it's holding you back from delivering feature to the market. So as much as you can abstract, the better. And that, that brings us to the new branch of the infrastructure tools that are rising now as yeah. uh, tools like Pulumi, right? If I pronounce yeah. that right which says like forget terraform forget cloud formation you're going to be describing your infrastructure in the language you write for instance typescript or python or i think they're adding go now or maybe already have go and uh, this is a really interesting branch for me to observe and i don't have a strong opinion about that as we discussed there is a big controversy between declarative and imperative and this one it actually goes imperative but at the same time, it's kind of built another level of abstraction because it's not really the code you're writing. It's just a DSL written in a language you know. So you still, I mean, say, kind of playing a little bit of tricks there. Yes, you know the language, but you still need to learn the DSL. And then you can apply the constructs of the language, you know, like loops and everything else to that DSL. So it's not entirely like you just described infrastructure in the language you know because you don't know the DSL yet. You have to learn it. But it kind of feels cozy and you don't leave your playground or like, you know, sandbox of the area that you know, the, your comfort zone of if you're like a TypeScript developer, right? Then you just keep mm -hmm. writing TypeScript with some alternations. What, yeah. what, what is your take on that, guys? I, I think it's, it's interesting to see how... I mean, before I describe like how I want to see infrastructure as code for me to know what I'm running, but it's also take on how we can write it to let developers or like how they can pick database stuff. If you can just tell the CloudFormation or your deployment, say, I want a database. And then, I mean, uh, your code, take care of deploying that database, make sure it's running and then supply back to a developer a, a string and a password and user and say, here you go, it, it's ready. You don't have to care about it. It's, it's all set up, everything's it's gone. Then that's a big advantage, I mean. I think it's, I don't know, writing code needs, you know, you have to write tests, you have to, to do a lot of things. I, I think code is a liability. If you can avoid writing code, you know, it's like the, the Kelsey Hightower project called No Code. Mm. Just, uh, you know, write nothing, deploy nowhere, run securely. 
and and that's almost it's a joke you know it's more like i don't think people realize how much work has to go into maintaining that stuff because it's not yeah. like yeah set it and forget it and then you know you, you're going to be stuck for that with with that for years now because it's it's you're the only one who know TypeScript and infrastructure and not everybody has the, the desire to to learn either of those so it's there is a lot of uh, difficult decision to be made and sometimes you know it depends on what's the scale you're operating on if you're processing like 1000 message per day like just use the managed service and forget about mm. it everything is is handled for you and you know still develop tooling around monitoring those infrastructures so you know what to do and make sure that you have that failover and all those things because those api are provided for you usually and just focus on the business first what you know the 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 infrastructure is is still a vibrant ecosystem now it's it's shifting a lot and more and more service are being provided by cloud providers so yeah. if you want a database uh, you, you just get a, an endpoint now and you yeah. you you target it and the, the rest is basically not under your control you 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 swipe your credit card and you get it and it's usually much cheaper than having to pay people to figure that stuff out because it, it might take them months to to get it right i don't know it, it's more like a you know set, setting up a multi cluster failover database and redundancy and, and figure out the networking the security and all those things it, it's not that you cannot do it but how much value are you going to get out of it if you can get something i, I would say 80% similar for you know maybe one tenth of the price that you cost to your company yeah i think it makes sense i i'm just i i, I tried pulumi and i really really find out that okay this is a great tool it's a great idea if you are a developer and you you getting started with infrastructure and you want to keep your language the same language with everything because consistency is time saving you know if everything is consistent you save time because you reuse the same uh, pattern over and over but beside that i i still stick to terraform or whatever cloud provider offer and this this is more what i would recommend if somebody is getting started because the community around that is is older there is more tutorials and they can learn and there is a meetup group and they you know there is a community because that's how people learn it's by talking to each other uh, and blog post and article and podcast apparently and so it, it's it's a lot about what's what's your learning experience how how is the learning curve where how how bad do you want it to be uh, i'm not sure that people who manage servers spend a lot of time coding they might have run, you know, some Python script, some Bash script, but having a full-blown uh, application in production with tests that cannot, you know, support downtime, it's it's another ball game. You know, it's not, it's it's two different applications. It's, they are completely different things. Yeah. All right. I talked a lot about that. Yeah, a lot to blend in. I mean, what do you say? You say. Terraform is, is the way to go for you when you set up your, your cloud provider. But I mean, also no, how? No, I said I said like if you're starting, just go see something like Terraform and and you know make your teeth on this because yeah. at least you you will you will get the support from a big community and you will 
you can learn in your own pace pace and yes. and just handle that but it's not like oh yeah choose that tool just make sure that you ditch terraform the minute it gets in your way that's that's yeah. also important yeah, yeah. the tool selection yeah. is more like type of preference or and also uh limitation of team you you got right so True. if you're working in a team you have some knowledge and then you should see how would you do the best with the knowledge available just uh, relearning the tool when you have some knowledge it doesn't make sense what you need is not to use a fancy tool but be- deliver the business value with True. the capabilities you got so and again like I, I i really like to ask what is the problem like when people can i mean a lot of people and the developers they like shiny tools and yeah. i mean they're nice and shiny there is nothing wrong about that but you always have to ask what is the problem we are solving and if this tool is the right solution for the right problem because just using tool for the sake of using tool is passed to nowhere and uh, it, I mean again it's not about delivering the business value it's about <laughs> using the fancy tool and that's not what you're being paid for yeah, yeah. I mean can you really I don't think I can recommend anybody that for a professional setting up services or anything in the cloud to not use any uh, any tool for, for setting up the, their stuff by code I mean if you start going and, and, and clicking in the console, deploying stuff, I mean, maybe for a test, but as soon as you start in production, if, if you're adding more and more things, it's going to go out of control. Yeah, for sure. I, I think if you started with something, you should really from the beginning, like, okay, we're going to set up something in the cloud now. Let's start to specify it from from code in the beginnings we have everything documented from day one and then go on and yeah but imagine you're coming into the organization that existed yeah. for some time right for five ten years yeah. and once they got they got legacy so yeah and there is nothing wrong with that because this legacy stuff got them where they are right now so that legacy made them successful and made them survive yeah legacy paid the bills yeah, exactly. So it might be not fancy and not cool to work with legacy, but this is what the pays the bill, exactly as Julian says. And yeah. here you have to be you have to understand what would be the best way forward science. You know, you could be dagmatic and say, yes, infrastructure as code is the way to go, it's a great concept, this is where the future is. But you also have to understand the conditions and limitations you got here. Because you can you cannot just you know throw away everything you got and start from scratch. Science you have to keep systems running, and then how you go about that? That's a good question. So, how do you transition from where you are right now to where you want to be? So, and you start from defining where you want to be. And it sounds like Matthias wants to do infrastructure as code, but I imagine he has a bunch of stuff lying around which is not. And how do you go there? Would you do a green project like some new functionality being developed as infrastructure as code and use that as a success project to show everyone that, yeah, that's the way to go? Because, you know, you have people on the team who got the system to the point where it is and they're proud of what they did. 
And yeah. you're coming out of nowhere with a shiny idea saying like, whatever you did before was crap. <laughs> We're going to do it this way. Yeah. And you're not going to win a lot of friends. And technology <laughs> boils down to working with people. I mean, that's the people who do technology. So yeah. the tools are fine, but they're not replacing people running those tools and using those tools. So it's a lot of psychology involved in here. So you have to say like, how do we improve what we got? What would, what makes sense? Because you actually might have like the mainframes if you're a bank, you might have the, the hardware servers, like the real, you know, bare metal servers running stuff, maybe even without any virtualization there. So you might even not have interfaces or APIs to call here, but you do have cloud because everyone seems to be doing hybrid cloud nowadays. So yeah, true. you need to find a way to propose something that makes sense and find what is hurting the most. And it could be so, exactly as you said, you're coming in production and production is not consistent with the development environment. So every time you deploy, you're blowing up production science because it doesn't I mean, yeah. match your expectations. So Yeah, I mean, that's a nice way we're all seeing, yeah. But there might be other problems. So you actually have to do a little bit of uh, value stream mapping and see what is the biggest problem right now, right? And start tackling that problem because, yeah, infrastructure is code brings a lot of advantages in the long run. But mm. in the short run, it's going to be an investment and you have to justify that investment because those money might be invested somewhere else, right? And solve some other problem that might get developers even more productive. So are you willing to live with the problem you have and spend time on some other problem? That's a question yeah. to answer before choosing any tool or discussing any practice. Yeah, it's, it's hard, it's hard. So, I mean, time is coming up now to end. I mean, how should we sum up this this topic, topic about infrastructure as code? I mean, Julian, do you have any last words here? Do you want to sum up your, your ideas? And... There is no silver bullet. There's <laughs> no way to make everything work. It's, it's all about yeah. hard, hard work. And, and, I, I think... The, the the it's good to see what people can gain from it uh, from infrastructure as code and that is that in the end if you are in a really big organization one team can manage it all like they yeah. can manage literally the whole infrastructure infrastructure whether it's on-prem or in the cloud it will be the same workflow they can work with the same tool and they can adapt that in you know, onboarding team member in a way that so developer don't need to figure out how to write a Terraform code or Cloud Foundation or deployment manager. It's all of that that you, you can gain. In, it's to have a specialized team dedicated to managing infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, I, I fully agree. I mean, for me, to sum it up, I, I've seen all this... Uh, as, as you said before, on like different version in like integration production, we have in some stage like, and I can see how how you can make infrastructure as code and, and declare your your infrastructure and then have a proper way of deploying it to multiple environment to make sure that it's the same thing running. So when you deploy your application, you know that it's it's the same setup in production. If it works in integration, it will work in production. Yeah, I, I, I know a good test for that is that, okay, you, you say it's the same environment, 
Very good. Now let's yeah. shift the shift the traffic to production from from that other environment and see if it works. Yeah. Usually, if I can tell by the way people are confident about it, yeah. if they just like froze, you know that they, what they're saying is the same environment. That's total BS. You know, it's like yeah. you, you're lying to yourself, and that's that's completely wrong. So you know, yeah. having the same environment, it, 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 there is always something. The, the good thing is that if you adopt the mentality of immutable infrastructure and get into the habit of recreating yeah. things and shifting traffic and failovers yeah. and all those things, you will gain tremendous confidence into your infrastructure, yeah. okay. and it will be yeah. resilient as hell. Yeah. 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 Just, I agree. Uh, I mean, the, yeah. Just, just to give Probably. example of it, like with a. Uh, Customer of mine, we had a situation where uh, where we uh, lost one of the Kubernetes servers, or oh, not the servers, but the clusters, and it happened so to be in production, which was quite unfortunate. And I will lift out the left out the exact reason why that happened, but since everything was declared as code, it took us about one hour, two hours to recreate the whole thing and get back back up and running. So yeah. And we had uh, some things that wasn't documented properly, so that took some time. So if we would have yeah. everything documented as it should be, we would be maybe like in 15, 30 minutes. And that's basically, you know, AWS doing its thing. So we call the old APIs and then AWS doing its thing. And yeah. we just have to wait for it to come up and uh, continue with the deployment. I mean, it's, it's nice. And you get all these features of like, extra when you have everything in order. Andre, what's your final words here and thoughts about infrastructure as code or an advice or anything? I think it's important to understand what you're talking about. So you have to educate yourself as a practitioner. I mean, like as any of us who is within organization who is trying to solve the problems for that organization and get that organization going forward, you have to understand your field and you have to understand what you're talking about. So I believe the good first step in that direction would be actually reading. So even in our digital age and age of, you know, the YouTube learning and all those platforms still the for me, the best source is the book. And there is a great book called infrastructure as code by Keith Morris. And I think yeah. he's publishing a second edition right now. So I'm really looking forward to that. So I would read that book. And uh, always ask myself if I'm confronted with some some decision I need to make. I would ask myself, what is the problem here? What we are solving? What is the outcome we desire to bring to the business? And yeah. um, then see, because answers on those questions will give you the half of the solution. Yeah, about the way to go. So okay. Julian, do you have any last news that you want to bring up here? Yeah, so I prepared some news for uh, it for today. It's mainly the links to article and podcast. So the the first things I found is the a YouTube channel called FreeThink, and mm -hmm. they show about the real world case where someone made their own ISP. Uh, they talk about hackers and privacy, and it's a uh, Actually, a short size video, like five minutes, and they, they show the, the whole uh, topic in very dense content. I think it's totally worth it. 
There is also uh, this podcast, Cloudy with a Chance of Kelsey Hightower on the Changelog Go time. I post the yeah. link because this is one of the best podcasts I've listened to in a long time. Uh, KTH, the Stockholm University, is doing a DevOps course. And I will post the link. They have a GitHub repository. There is also, I find that super useful is to sign your commit on GitHub. You can use uh, GPG and with a tool called Keybase that can help you to manage those GPG key. I, I post the link into the description. An article cool. by Sysdick uh, to find the limits of Kubernetes. Really interesting read. I highly recommend yeah. that uh, you look into it. Also, I saw that GCP came with a service called Config Connector, which is what we described during the talk, where you can define resources uh, in Google Cloud uh, inside your Kubernetes cluster, and it will mm -hmm. automatically create it. I think it's a good uh, to know that those things exist, and this is where the trend is going. Yeah. And lastly, the last entry is uh, a list of interesting KubeCon EU talk uh, by Lightstep. So if you're into monitoring and infrastructure, those are probably what you want to attend. So there, I can paste the yeah, link to it. Just paste it and we can add it to, to the info about it. And I yeah. think that will sum up our first podcast. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. Whoever is listening to this, get back to us somehow. That means you know yeah. you have, and uh, let us know if you like it and what you would like us to talk about. If you have any topics you're interested in, particularly, so yeah, okay. Then we we'll say goodbye for this time. Bye, yep. bye, bye, bye. Take care. You have been listening to DevSecOpsPod. If you go to the webpage devsecops.fm, you will find more information about me, Matthias, Julian, and Andre. You will also find more episodes about the podcast. Thank you for listening.